0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at
1: airbnb.com/slash/host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> If you're looking for extra little nuggets of story, then you should jump over to the Facebook group where our admin, Joshua Boucher, is running a series of stories he likes to call Choose Your Own Misadventure. He's done a few already and is gearing up to tell another very soon. Uh, You get to decide the shifts and turns of the stories as they're told in real time. If you're interested in joining in, head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver, where we also run the book club and the movie club. Once again, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. Today's episode is Stalemate, written by Liam Hogan and narrated by Justin Fife. Conflict. I,
0: Mr. Black, have a key. Mr. White has a key. I want his key, and he wants mine. Neither of us is prepared to give the other what they want. These are not our real names. They were given to us on envelopes that contain the keys to replace whatever names we had before. Names we have forgotten, though we have been here barely eight weeks. I stare down at the chess set. I'm being beaten again, but I don't want Mr. White to know that I know that. Briefly, I meet his impassive gaze. You are up to something, I mutter tentatively easing my bishop onto one square that my king could have escaped to. Six moves hence. There. Mr. White allows himself a faint smile now that the trap has been sprung. He leans forward and absently twists his unkempt mustache between thick, blunt fingertips. Very good, he says as he reaches out and centers the ceramic piece I have just moved. Fastidious on the chessboard, a slob in person have you given any more thought to my proposition like me his thoughts are never very far away from out of this place and the impasse that keeps it locked i glance towards the door the shiny metal surface is broken only by a plain handle it opens freely to reveal a shallow access and another door this one locked and handleless so we assume it must open outwards That second inner door has two keyholes. They match the keys Mr. White and I have. When the outer door is open, the keyholes are blocked. When the outer door is closed and either key is inserted in the inner, the outer door locks shut until that key is removed. We know this because we have both stood in the gap between the doors, but not together. There isn't room for the two of us. We don't know what will happen to the other when one of us holds both keys to that inner door. But neither of us wants to be the one that finds out. It is day 54. Tomorrow morning, we will awaken and find food stocks in the kitchenette have been replenished. Tomorrow, there will be a fresh pack of seven cotton jumpsuits, black with Mr. Black embroidered in white thread over the heart. Mr. White has been changing his outfits only once every five days or so, and still has a number left. Tomorrow... There will also be a fresh set of bedsheets for the both of us, and tomorrow a new gift will arrive. The chess set came at the start of the second week. Nothing at all arrived the third week, when we took turns to watch the cupboards through the night to see how they were restocked. We went hungry, and tonight we will retire early to our rooms to make sure the food, the clothes, and most importantly, the gift are delivered. I look back to Mr. White. I'm still not convinced, I shrug. Maybe after we've seen what they bring us tomorrow. As you wish. He reaches down and shifts his rook one square to the right. An innocent looking move that only tightens the noose before slumping back into his chair. Mr. White's proposition is simple. A game of chance. To decide who should have both keys. But I can't trust him. The fourth week we received letters fan mail someone out there is watching us and someone out there is my guardian angel beware of mr white one message read he keeps containers of food under his bed until they rot i think he plans to poison you mr white laughed when i confronted him i hadn't been in his room for a while there were paper plates plastic cups plastic cutlery and empty food containers scattered over the floor He picked up a half-eaten tub of salmon, sniffed it, and screwed up his face. Well, perhaps I should clean up occasionally. From then on, we stopped cooking for each other. I take my time over my next move. His passive rook shuffle looks like it has given me the initiative. I sit with my elbows on the edge of a small folding table we play our games on. I'm not thinking about chess. I'm wondering how to encourage him to play for higher stakes. Something more than putting up with his smug glee when he wins, or his childish petulance over the scant few draws I've engineered to prevent him from having it all his way. I'm thinking how I can convince him to play black. So far, I've played marginally worse when I'm white, dithering over my opening and quickly ceding first move advantage. From such tiny margins are games won and lost. I'm wondering, too, not for the first time, how it is that I know the moves of every obscure opening and variant that Mr. White throws against me, but I don't know my own name or when it was that I learned to play chess. I wonder if this forgetfulness was enforced, or did we somehow volunteer? Are we prisoners or contestants? The game reaches its inevitable conclusion and Mr. White yawns extravagantly, his hand failing to hide a smile. Well, good night and better luck tomorrow. I think you almost had me there. I'm going to have to up my game. I scowl, but it isn't any more real than the battle we have just fought and retire to my room. I'm awake and dressed before the lights reach their full morning brightness, before the gentle buzz that indicates it's time to get up. Showtime, Mr. White calls it. I head to the kitchen, meeting Mr. White on the way. He gives me a cheery smile and a hearty, Good morning! But I don't respond. Together we swing open the door to the storeroom. The gift lies on the third shelf in a plain brown cardboard box and is surprisingly heavy. We both stick our hands through the polystyrene packing material, searching for whatever lies within. I feel it first. Hard, cold metal. A tube or some kind. And I quickly pull it out before Mr. White can grab it it's a gun more accurately a revolver and I'm holding it by the wrong end I see Mr. White's eyes do a quick calculation and I seize the handle with my other hand but I've already seen daylight through the chambers so I break the gun open to show him it's not loaded Mr. White picks up the cardboard box and turns it upside down a cloud of white figure eights flutter to the floor and I step sharply back no bullets no bullets He says. No, I agree, promising myself that it won't be me who cleans up the mess. Maybe they'll arrive next week. But why? Well, we have been a little boring of late. They obviously want to up the ante. Maybe. Breakfast first, though. Not so fast. His hand clamps on my arm. Maybe you're right, and the bullets will arrive next week. Or maybe you get one free with each pack of cereal. But unless you want to hand over the gun, I'm not letting you out of my sight. I'm tired and hungry. I never sleep well the night before a gift. Fine. Let's get this over with. A single game of chess. Winner takes all. I snap. He pauses. You mean play for the gun? I wave my hand the gun, the keys, whatever it takes to satisfy whoever's watching us. Now that the specter of violence has been raised, I'd rather not give them that satisfaction. Okay, he says slowly. You're sure you wouldn't rather flip a coin? Quite sure, thank you. I'll not have my life ruled by the capricious hand of fate. Not that you have a coin anyway. And so we play. He offers me black, thinking he's doing me a favor, but I reject his pitying kindness. He palms one pawn of each color. I choose his right hand and fake disappointment when he opens it to reveal the milky white piece. I open conservatively, pawn to king four. He responds with pawn to queen six, an attempt to unsettle the novice player. In a couple moves, we are already in the relatively uncharted territory of the perk defense. I have firm control of the center, without appearing to have done much work, while Black is ready to pounce when, if, I make a mistake. You know, he says, not looking up from the board, the gun really doesn't change anything. Violence was always a possibility. I shrug, but the outcome would be unclear. There would be no distinct advantage. He laughs. No, I've thought of a dozen ways to incapacitate you. Most of them involve no more risk than using a gun. A dozen, I think to myself. Food poisoning for one. What else? I can't imagine. I shudder. So why didn't you? He looks up towards the corner of the room. There's no camera visible, but there are obviously cameras somewhere and the shorthand gesture is easily interpreted. What happens when one of us leaves? If one of us wins, but is viewed as having done so by cheating, what sort of reception would they get? No, it has to be fair. That's why I suggested a simple game of chance. I'm disappointed you didn't agree. Well, here we are instead, and it's your move. We play on. Mr. White proceeds to set up an elaborate trap that, as usual, requires my cooperation to be sprung. But on this occasion, I delicately sidestep his forks and pins whilst sniping at his exposed pieces. By not fully negating the danger he threatens, I'm able to orchestrate his next moves. If I move here, and his plan is still to work, he has to move there. In short order, I'm up two pawns and yet the fool still thinks he's winning. Then suddenly, unexpectedly, he pulls out the foundations of his trap. In two decisive moves, my rook is exposed and taken. I take back, though it weakens my defense to do so, and a cold bead of sweat trickles down my back. He reaches across the board to straighten the knight I have just claimed, and I bat his hand away in annoyance. The black piece spirals to the floor, and from its shattered remains a round cylinder with a pointed end rolls under the table. Mr. White is quick, much quicker than a stolid girth belies. In an instant, his meaty fist seizes both the bullet and the gun, which had been resting next to the board. I lunge at his arm to stop him, bringing the two together, and a firm push sends me to my chair, tumbling backwards. By the time I've pulled myself up, the revolver is leveled at my chest. We can play this one of two ways, he pants. I can shoot you and take the key from you, or you can willingly hand it over. Either way, I'm leaving here. I wonder if I should call us bluff, throw the key short or at him, and wait for his gaze to leave me and kick out his gun arm. But I daren't. I suspect that only works in movies. So I toss him my key, and though he fails to catch it, I don't move while he gropes for it on the floor. Stand against the wall, he orders, and he opens the steel door. He pauses in the doorway and gestures once more to the imaginary camera in the corner of the room. For them, he says. And there's a boom, so much louder than I could have imagined, and I feel the sting of small pieces of masonry against my cheek as the bullet smacks into the wall a foot away from my head. By the time I look back, My heart pounding and my ears ringing. The door is closed, and Mr. White is gone. I pick up the folding table and start replacing the chess pieces on the board from memory. Do any of the other pieces contain a bullet? Perhaps it was just the Black Knight. Or perhaps all of them do. Even the pawns are big enough and heavy enough. The board restored, I study the position. Were Mr. White's unexpected moves pure luck? Or had he been playing me all along, the way that I thought I'd been playing him? I'm trying to work out if the Rook-Knight Exchange is decisive. Would it have been enough to win him the game? When there's an embarrassing cough from behind me, (coughs) I look up to see a man garbed in white. He isn't much to look at. So thin and pale, he looks decidedly unhealthy. An impression not helped by his wispy gray hair and his groomless expression. But he's holding a pair of envelopes a black chess piece I smile engagingly nod towards the board set out before me and ask
1: do you play? I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories Style Mate was written by Liam Hogan narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Duncan Muggleton with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson and sound effects were provided by freesound.org the episode illustration is provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House Check out more of Liam Hogan's work at happyendingnotguaranteed.blogspot.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help support the show over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. You can join our book club and movie club and chat about the podcast over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. T-shirts and mugs and posters are available at gumroad.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio, Hawk and Cleaver, and is brought to you with Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So... Until next time.